It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. A podcast that has experienced more highs and lows than the life and career of Britney Spears and Robert Downey Jr. combined. I am Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of MazeandBrew.com. Andy, you soothing milk maiden. How you holding up, brother? I'm alive. Um, not by much after what we witnessed last week and all the junk we were talking on the podcast, but I'm here, you know, in spirit. It's bad. We definitely talked a lot of smack, but uh, what could you expect with what we had seen in week one? And coming back down to earth here in week two and really starting to realize that the 2020 season is going to be strange and things you think you know, you probably don't actually know. And now we have to eat crow for an entire year after a really embarrassing, disheartening, humiliating loss to the least talented Spartan team in a decade. Yeah, Mel Tucker is undefeated as Spartan head coach against Michigan. Jim Harbaugh wasn't even that. It was an embarrassing performance, and their fans are flooding mentions everywhere and dancing on our graves, and we can just sit here and cry. Yep, I had to sit there and take it from a 40-year-old man that still delivers packages for UPS, and uh, there's nothing I can do about it. I, <laughs> Some, just, I mean, I can accept it. what can Brown do for you? Just pummel me into submission via sports. Yeah. <laughs> ruin what remains of my soul. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, 2020 hadn't taken enough. Like, just please do this. But... You know, fair is fair because God knows we'd be taking our shots right now. 
That's true. Uh, we kind of expected to win, so I think we were hoping to come in and have a podcast just talking about what we knew already, but instead we've got to talk big picture stuff. Uh, we got to talk about what went wrong in that game. We got to talk about the future of the program. I will say, though, that as much as that loss hurt, it really kind of glanced off me. It was like a glancing blow because 2020 has been so lame. That's like the 30th lamest thing that's happened to me. Yeah, it's also been a rough year for myself. So, you know, I feel kind of bulletproof at this point. I went and just took a nap afterwards. Normally, I'd have to go take a walk or mow the grass like John Bacon says. But no, I just went and took a nap and it was okay. Life went on. That's what I'm saying. I've got a, a final that's due after we're done recording this. We got an election going on that's, you know, super tight. Either way, you're, you're rooting in that. Uh, there's obviously still a pandemic going. No one can travel anywhere. It's been a lame year. So losing to Michigan State was awful. And it really, really sets this program back. But personally, this one didn't hurt as some of the, some of the other ones, as much as some of the other ones. But we got to talk about the big picture because now Jim Harbaugh is one in six at home against rivals. And undefeated against everybody else. It's ridiculous. It doesn't really make much sense. And yeah, let's let's talk about this game. Um, Michigan comes in as big, big, heavy favorites. The line was fluctuating between 21, 25 points. Seemed a little high to me. I didn't put any money on this one. But at the same time, it just shows you the talent gap that existed on paper. Um, But I would say that the first sign of trouble actually came Friday night when Minnesota, our opponent from week one, uh, got beat by Maryland in an extremely high-scoring game. And we learned that maybe Minnesota isn't very good. Yeah, I was sitting in a bar watching that, and I'm like, Jared, should should we be concerned? And you, being the optimist you were, were like, maybe we broke their spirit. And I'm like, you know what? We broke their spirit. And then as the game progressed, I'm like, nope, they just suck. <laughs> their defense is in shambles. And, of course, our offense looked unstoppable against that defense. I think most offenses are going to look unstoppable against that Minnesota defense. So the chinks in the armor started to show Friday night a little bit. And then as soon as the game started Saturday – it was pretty clear that we've got some deficiencies and some of the things that we thought were strengths um, were, were not so much strengths. So uh, l- let's talk about what went wrong in that game. And uh, I'll let you start it out. You can pick offense, defense, you can go player by player, however you want to do it. We could just have a three minute pod and talk about what went right. <laughs> quick, you're right. All right. What went wrong? Let's, let's start on the offense. Offensively, Michigan could not establish the run. And this had ramifications throughout the offense we'll get into, but it began with that. There was no push up front from the offensive line. There was no movement. There were no holes. The linebackers were very well prepared. That whole front seven was following blocks, reading things, and making stops. Ben Mason had a very rough day blocking, continually missed the wrong guy, got too overeager one direction, and there were no running lanes and there was no pass protection either with the offensive line. Yeah, it did start up front on both sides and on the offensive line. You absolutely nailed it. Also, we were talking about this offline. Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum looked like by far the best two running backs of the day. And the inability or the unwillingness to ride the hot hand when guys were finding holes, finding crease and making something out of nothing. Really, I mean, and, and they didn't even get run till later in the game. We were kind of dead set on running Charbonnet and Evans, and it became clear very quickly that was not working especially up the middle so uh offensive line not nearly as strong of a day and also the play calling seemed very stubborn very stubborn there was no rhythm to it it was pound the ball up the middle pound it up the middle set up the play action 
you have to make adjustments if pounding the ball up the middle is no good. It felt like Tim Drevno and Pep Hamilton were back there trying to establish the run in 17 with Chris Evans. Like, it just didn't make any sense. Right, and it also became quite clear that we did have a skill advantage, but it was on the outsides with guys like A.J. Henning and Blake Corum and Roman Wilson, who all of a sudden looks like our best wide receiver. And they didn't really want to take advantage of that. Now, part of that could be the inability to get the ball downfield. Michigan State had better pressure than Michigan all day. Another thing we did not expect going with Mayfield and Hayes, especially at the tackles. Um, but Milton did not have nearly as much time, but also they do not seem comfortable letting him throw the ball down the field. No, the trust is definitely not there. It feels like he's just handcuffed <clears throat> Excuse me, to throw the ball 15 yards, not even 15 yards. He had Ronnie Bell wide open on a deep ball and just sailed it. Like, he has no touch right now, and the touch and accuracy can be really hard to teach. The arm strength is very natural to him. He can sling it, but Milton's got to take a little bit off these balls to make them catchable because Michigan had five drop balls, and most of their correct fault goes to the receiver, but Milton's got to take a little bit of blame for some of the muster he's putting on these. Yeah, absolutely. Not everything needs to be a laser. Eric All, in particular, had a rough day catching the ball. Mike Sanger still dropped a few. Um, I think Ronnie Bell maybe had a drop. Roman Wilson, like I said, I'll, I'll give him one of the only helmet stickers for this game. Giles Jackson, man. That catch he made and got rocked. Yes, he did, and he held on to that, so props to Giles Jackson. But they don't seem like they are comfortable letting him push the ball down the field further than 15 yards. And when he does do that, the balls really don't seem very accurate which is frustrating because I get it. You know, he's a red shirt sophomore, but Graham Mertz comes into Wisconsin as a true freshman and he's got more touch. I mean, this is not something that is unheard of. Freshmen and sophomores come in every year across the NCAA and they're able to complete balls down the field. Joe Milton has got a long way to go with his deep ball. Yeah. We came I mean, just flying back down to earth from being God last week to nothing this week, man. It was very sobering to watch him throw the ball around or not be able to. But maybe, again, it's a product of not having pressure because once he got hit a few times, he looked very uncomfortable. And once Michigan State got ahead and made it tight, he played very tight, did not seem to handle the pressure very well. The calm, cool leadership, all those factors he like displayed last week were absent this week. Yeah, he's going to have to learn to stick in the pocket and wait for his guys to come open because it seems like he'll he'll lock in on one guy. If that's not there, he'll kind of look to take off, even if the pocket isn't quite collapsing yet. So he just doesn't have that feel in the pocket yet. But this loss is in no way on Joe Milton. He played good enough to win um, or good enough to not lose. It was elsewhere that I think that this game went south. So if you've got nothing else on the offense, I think we need to move to what went wrong on defense. Let me take a deep breath. Please. On the defense, get us started. Where was the pass rush? Just non-existent. We have quote unquote two projected first round draft picks and we can only finish the game with two tackles for loss and no sacks. Made Rocky Lombardi look like John Elway. He had all day to throw in this vaunted, I'm doing air quotes right now, pass rush that was rated as the number one pass rush in the country against Minnesota was shut down by a group of lesser talented, if you're going off rankings. I mean, they also had some guys sit out due to COVID, or they just sat the year out. And this was not the greatest offensive line, but nobody could do anything. The defense had absolutely no juice, especially up front. Kept waiting for Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson to take over. They got stoned all day. 
So that was that was a problem, especially since Don Brown, he, his defense is absolutely predicated on getting pressure, and that's how you help your secondary, which leads us to the secondary. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, what about the secondary? It was abysmal. I mean, I think everyone was bad except for, hey, Brad Hawkins and Dax Hill had a good game, and Dax Hill had to step up and play some corner and was our best corner. But By let's far. start. Let's start with the problems. It was every cornerback on the roster, and it was Vincent Gray, who was one, officiated very tight. We can talk about the officiating in a second, but that aside, that should not throw you off your entire game as a football player to just get abused by Rocky Lombardi and a true freshman in Ricky White. It's it's very mind-boggling to me that Vincent Gray can come out in these first two games and look this unprepared, or that they don't have anything in place to help him. Dax Hill is by far our best cover man, and he's at safety. When he's in coverage, he at least gets his head around. He's right there in the hip pocket. Vincent Gray's got all sorts of problems. Um, and you're right, like the early officiating especially was very, very tight. And of the first five penalties that were called, I think only one of them was actually a penalty. Um, and it was where Vincent Gray ripped the guy's arm back. But the other ones seemed to me to be the, uh, nitpicky, I would say. And you're right. It just threw them off their entire game plan. And they knew early on they had something going after our corners. And credit to them, they exploited the weakness. Yeah, I mean, it was an gr- ex- excellent game plan by Michigan State to adjust and go, okay, we're just going to te- keep taking shots at them, especially on third downs, because they could get PI calls all, all game long. One thing... Of- bothered me with the officiating especially was a lot of attention was paid to the secondary and not a lot was to the backfield and I think that had a little something to do with Michigan's lack of a pass rush on defense yes yeah I will agree with that and the lack of a pass rush especially when you're rushing four five six the inability to get to Rocky Lombardi I mean that really really takes the teeth out of your secondary and puts them on islands and our guys Jamon Green played better than Vincent Gray our second corner looks to be our first corner now um, but they keep saying Vincent Gray is just having bad days um, week one you can you know give him some slack for going up against Rashad Bateman but there's no slack to be given he ended up getting pulled in that game yeah and Jalen Perry came in and was bad but I'm not going to blame him for this loss. Like I didn't expect too much out of him. But this is back-to-back weeks now. Michigan's given up 100 yards to a receiver. I can I can't remember the last time that happened at Michigan. No, I mean we're so used to having you know a pair of reliable corners, Jordan Lewis and you know David Long, and then David Long and Lavert Hill, and then Channing Levert. Stribling. It was even really good in coverage. He was allergic to tackling, but he was great in coverage. Exactly. We are completely inept in our secondary right now, and it could get ugly. It, it could absolutely get ugly. So, um, yeah, I, I want to talk about where we go from here after that loss, because this is kind of like a program altering type of loss. This is the type of loss that makes you really sit back and reevaluate uh, where we're at as a program and where the rivalry is going. And this is a, a game you, you should win nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten when you talk about the talent discrepancy. So we need to talk about that, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll discuss that and preview the Indiana game when we get back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are going to preview Indiana, who we have this coming Saturday. But first, I wanted to take a moment to kind of talk about not just that loss, but where we were at it as a program. Where do you go from here after, I would say, and you said in your article, a great article if you haven't checked it out on Maze and Brew, that I think it's the worst loss of the Harbaugh era. Without a doubt, it is. This is a look in the mirror, and this team's either going to be three and five this season, or they're going to rally behind this and use the sobering experience to take it up a notch. I think this team is somewhere between the Minnesota performance and this performance. So they're a middle tier big 10 team, but this week we're going to learn, we're going to know everything we need to know about this season. I agree. Indiana is going to be extremely telling, but here's the thing. We are a middle of the road, big 10 team, but that should not be the case. Not with our resources, not with the amount that we're, paying Harbaugh, not with our recruiting year in and year out. Based on our recruiting, we should be somewhere between the 7th and 10th best team in the country, and we are not. Right now, I think we're closer to 18th or 20th, so more people, other teams are doing more with less. So I personally believe that this is, it's an underperforming coaching group. Um, You know, Gaddis and Wariner, I'm still quite high on. Um, I'm, I'm probably over Don Brown at this point, though, I would say. I am as well. You and I talked off air about how Don Brown came in, had a really good defense in 16, a really good defense in 17, despite the inept offense. In 18 was really good until the last game of the year. It's like, okay, you know, Ohio State has an all-time great offense right now. Dwayne Haskins went crazy and broke the Big Ten touchdown record. And then in 19 last year, the defense started to waver a little bit, dropped down to, I believe, 12th, and then floundered again the last two games. And now we're starting to do that against lesser opponents in games we should win. I feel like we've reached the ceiling of Don Brown and we're coming back down. And I don't think you go back up very high after all of this. I think it's just down trajectory and they need to find a replacement probably at the end of the season. Probably so. I agree with you there. And when he has good or above average cornerbacks, his scheme can really work. It's very much predicated on man-to-man coverage and getting pressure on the quarterback putting him in a position where he has to throw the ball earlier than he'd like. But if that doesn't work for him, his ability to adjust, and we often give him credits for credit for second half adjustments, which he's he is very good at within a game. But his system, his scheme remains pretty much the exact same thing. And this year could get really ugly because we don't even have one cornerback we can trust, let alone a pair of them. Yeah, and it's a good thing we don't play teams that can throw the ball around like Ohio State, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to play likely Heisman finalist Justin Fields at some point, and I shudder to think. So, what, what, what I mean, Ryan Day, you know, he's already schemed him up once, and now he says he's going to hang 100 on us. I kind of believe him at this point. 
yeah, you think Vincent Gray is going to cover those guys? It doesn't look like it. And I feel for him. I mean, I'm not going to call him a kid because he's, you know, he's a 20-year-old man. There's people in foxholes that are older. So I'm not going to be, like, too ginger about it. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to really, you know, hang it on him because I'm sure that was a rough, rough day for him as is. But he's not getting it done. And Don Brown has to be willing to give some help to our corners or it gets bad starting this week against Indiana. You think back even to like 2016 against Wisconsin, the 14 to seven win and Michigan can't run the ball to ice the game. And Alex Hornibrook takes a deep shot and Jordan Lewis has the freak one-handed interception. If that's a corner from this year's team, that's a touchdown and Wisconsin ties the game. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we had those types of corners in the past and we don't have them now, it does make a big difference. And Ambry Thomas, man, I mean, there's no point in talking about it now. It's, beating a dead horse, but we could have really used him and he would have made a huge, huge difference. Nico Collins would make a huge, huge difference as well with all the drops and the inability to push the ball down the field. Having those two guys opt out um, while other teams brought back everybody, including Indiana, who we've got this weekend, it it definitely, it's showing. It's showing. If Ambry Thomas alone is on this team, Michigan wins on Saturday. I think that we would. Yes, absolutely. If Ambry Thomas were there because they wouldn't be able to exploit him with both Ricky White and the other receivers that they have. And credit to Michigan State. They do have some receivers on that team. And I believe we have some receivers on our team as well, but we don't have a guy that can get him the ball, not reliably and not down the field yet. So um, before we go into previewing Indiana, would like to take a moment to introduce our new sponsor, Homefield. It's a premium collegiate apparel brand. They're out of Indianapolis. Uh, just got my first hoodie from these guys. Incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel, vintage designs. Uh, they're launching their Michigan line on Saturday, November 7th, so they'll be available to everyone else. Um, Homefield digs, and you can go back in the archives and get some of the unique brands. Go back if maybe you don't like some of the newer stuff and you want a more old school vibe. That's the way I went with it. They've got unique logos, some of the old mascot drawings on there. So you can put thoughtful designs on your Michigan uh, apparel, put the logos that you want. Also, extremely, extremely comfortable. I'm rocking the hoodie right now just for our sponsors over at Homefield. You can get 20% off your first purchase with MNB at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about what awaits us here at Indiana this weekend. I think that we're all a lot more nervous about this game than we were at the start of the season. Yeah. Remember in the preseason, we were making fun of how this game was a coin flip. This game's officially a coin flip. (laughs) Yep. I agree with you. I think it all starts up front with Michigan offensively. If Michigan can run the ball, then this is going to be a hell of a game. But if they can't run the ball, this offense is going to struggle and it's going to be a long game. How about instead of every back getting seven carries, we find one or two backs that are hot and we let them get into a groove in this game. That would be lovely. I would love to see that because, yes, we need to control the clock against these guys. We cannot give them a bunch of opportunities against our corners because they could put up 36, 40 points. I mean, they're averaging about 36 points a game. Their offense is legit and their passing game is legit. They've got a probably a more accurate quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. than we do right now. And I'm a big Joe Milton guy, but. I mean, like I said earlier, there are other guys that are younger than him that have that touchdown, and we don't have that yet. Michael Penix Jr., uh, he does, and they've got a good wide receiver in Watt Fillier. So could be another long day for the corners. we got to be able to run the ball. Yeah, Watt Fillier is going to be a problem for whomever, whomever is guarding him. And if it were up to me, we stop screwing around, you put Dax Hill out there, and you bring in another safety. 
I agree. I think it's time to make that move right now after what we saw. I think it's Jamon Green and Dax Hill at corner, if it were me, and then put Makari Page back there with Dax Hill, or excuse me, with uh, Brad Hawkins is how I would do it. Uh, Vincent Gray, I mean, you want to give the guy a chance. He was supposed to be our number one cornerback, but he just looks lost out there. And it's going to get ugly really, really quick if you go get, because we got a lot of good wideouts we got to face still. Uh, Wap Fillier being the next one. And while his name may sound like he's a, you know, an Amish blacksmith, the dude's a receiver. I mean, he's a legit threat. Yep. And this Indiana team, besides last year, always plays Michigan tight. And Michigan last year exploded them by throwing the ball all over the yard. One of Shea Patterson's best game. And we don't have a quarterback that can reliably do that yet. So establishing the run is going to be key early. Absolutely. And you're also going to want to slow down Stevie Scott. I mean, one credit that we can give in the Michigan State game, we did limit their rushing attack for the most part. They were able to get something going. They were very committed to get a running game going. But I do trust that we'll be able to keep Stevie Scott mostly contained. It's just going to come down to if we can make enough plays in the secondary. And the other thing, the other key to this game is the pressure has got to improve. We're supposed to have one of the best defensive end combos in the country. People are projecting Quiddy Pay as a top 10 pick. I need to see it because I didn't see any of that last week. I need to see them in the backfield constantly. I need to see adjustments from Don Brown. I would love to see Dax Hill at corner. I need, I need to see changes because that was embarrassing. And Indiana is, this is one of the best Indiana teams of the past 20 years. Yeah, Indiana is ranked 13th in the country with a chance to go in the top 10. And aside from Quiddy Pay, Aiden Hutchinson needs to have a big game like this. Needs to stop being the one-side dominant defensive line team like how Rashawn Gary always got a pass for doubling up blockers so Winovich could you know have some shine. It's like, no, they can both do that. And this really needs to be Aiden Hutchinson needs to dominate a little bit. And with his frame, his experience now, it's time for him as well to make a statement. Absolutely, he needs to. And if he wants to be a first-round pick or even a draft pick at some day, he's going to need to show that he can translate that size and athleticism into production. And it starts this week. And, you know, you can look back and just say last week was a speed bump if you get back on track this week. Um, we don't know about Cam McGrone. Michael Barrett's a little dinged up. Our next best, next two best pass rushers. So, I mean, that could be a concern, something to watch. But got to find a way to get home on Michael Penix Jr. Um, I'm confident they will do okay against the run. But literally, it's just going to come down to pressure. And if they've found some sort of answer in the secondary, and uh, also, on, I think on offense, we will be able to score against Indiana. I think so as well, too. I think they can score. The, the one cornerback for Indiana is really good. That is uh, Taiwan Mullen. Mullen's got 15 total tackles this year, uh, two and a half sacks and three and a half tackles for loss. So uh, the kid's a baller. He's going to be all over the field. They're going to have to give him different looks. Give, I hope Giles Jackson has another big game. Keep going after him. I saw Cornelius Johnson get a lot of run last week. So keep going at other players besides him. Try to spread the ball around. But again, the offensive line has to give Milton time. Has to. Absolutely. Also, I am all about Roman Wilson, A.J. Henning, and Blake Corum, the youth movement. You've got speed there with those guys. Blake Corum, to me, pound for pound, looks like the best running back on the team already. Hassan Haskins looks like he's right there. 1A, 1B. Charbonnet's somehow taking a step back this year. I didn't necessarily expect that. Um, especially after the 70-yard run against Minnesota, but he struggled against Michigan State. So find the hot hand. Um, don't be afraid to use the young guys. Get out in space. Get around the edges. It doesn't need to be up the middle every time. 
get some pass rush, and let's just continue to get Joe Milton comfortable. Because if not, this could be a three-win, five-loss season, like you said earlier. Yeah, this is this is a must-win game for Jim Harbaugh. They lose this game, three and five does not scream job security for anybody on this staff. No, no. And, you know, we mentioned a little bit, but in a pandemic-shortened year, they're unlikely to make a change at head coach. It would just, I mean, the numbers don't line up. We don't have any money coming in right now. But Don Brown surely could be on the chopping block if this goes south. So you're play, you're coaching for your jobs in this one. The, the kids are playing for their season, and there's a lot riding on it. And, yeah, if things go south this Saturday against Indiana, buckle up. It's going to be a long ride. You got a prediction? I do got a prediction. I think it's 31-27 Indiana. I would like to go with Michigan, but I'm just still a little disgusted by what I saw. And I'd like to believe that they can come out and right the ship, and they very well could. They have the talent to do it, but I'm going based off what I saw last week, and I don't have it in me to predict a victory right now. I'm just still too sick. I understand. I I want to lean that way, but something tells me back against the wall you have to deliver. I'm going to go Michigan 42-39. Yeah, I, I'm fine with that. I mean, I, I really wanted to go with Michigan getting the victory, but I just don't really have any confidence in our corners right now. So, you know, we'll know pretty early on in this game if they've made the adjustments that we want to see. And if not, I mean, yeah, expect a really high scoring game like that. So it'll be interesting to watch. We will both be watching and win or lose. We will be here the following week to break it down. Anything else from you, my friend? Oh, send your prayers to Vincent Gray. Oh, my poor sweet boy. I hope uh, I hope you got plenty of rest and uh, you're ready to play some football this Saturday because we're going to need it. But that's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple Music, Spotify, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Maze and Brew. I am Jared. That is Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, blue, and even in times of struggle, go blue.